to the Paint, Rest, Repeat podcast with Roz Gervais and Laura Day, where we chat about our creative lives as artists while keeping it real and a little bit messy. We're here to inspire creatives just like you to push past those boundaries and make art that you love. Let's dive in. everyone so welcome to another episode of paint rest repeat we have the lovely patricia hannigan how did that go with pronunciation was that all right <laughs> yeah close it's difficult for everyone it's uh, patricia hannigan so i go by pj okay so we have pj hannigan that's that's easier here today and pj is a mural artist and she's currently traveling australia and she has a hundred hundred murals in a year. Is it in a year or just a hundred mural project? Tell us. It's a hundred mural project. I'm trying to average a mural a week for a hundred weeks, just for the sake of having an end date. So it's not an open-ended project. I'm on time, but the project I'm painting now is taking a whole month. So <laughs> it might set me back a little bit, but I, yeah, I painted over... 60 in a year so I hope it's going to take me another year that is amazing I have I actually have a mural gig coming up towards the end of the year and let's just be open about it I'm a bit worried about how long it's going to take me I feel like I might be slow how do you deal with speed like honestly I think painting large scale it's so much faster than painting small on canvas you have bigger tools you have to use bigger tools that's the trick to it and if you have a good wall, it shouldn't take you long. It gets tricky when you have bumpy surfaces or like very old bricks and you have to do lots of layers and priming. And then if you use the wrong brushes, but it helped when I learned spray painting. Spray painting makes everything so much faster and more fun. But yeah, these are probably my suggestions. What type of mural will you be painting, do you know? It's interior. That's basically all I've got. So it's a con- it's like a shared contact and she's asked me to do a mural for her in her new office space and she just wants to support me. So that's why, but I have no idea what the subject matter is. I know the dimensions of the wall. That's it. That's all I've got. <laughs> Wish me luck. I'm sure you'll be fine. It's, it's a kind of like the ideal commission, so... Make the most out of it. (laughs) All right, I'm going to go with that. This podcast episode is sponsored by Laura's Creative Kickstart Coaching Sessions, designed for aspiring artists seeking motivation and support to turn their creative dreams into reality. Go to www.laurajaneday.com slash workwithme to find out more. Anyway, I feel like we need to backtrack. What do you think, Laura? Go back to PJ's foundations. Yeah, let's get to know the artist, PJ, and like maybe go back to like, were you a creative kid? How did you get into art? And yeah, what led you on this path? Yeah, I was always the type of kid that preferred sitting in a room with crayons and a piece of paper by herself instead of, you know, out with the other kids, even at school. I recently reflected on it because of another interview. And I think part of the reason was because I was an immigrant. Like my parents moved to Italy when I was two and I went to school and I always felt a little bit detached from the local kids. And that was just my my safe haven. And I would just go to, you know, ask the teacher to put me in a separate room or in a corner and just just draw and paint. And I really, I always found like 
I found it fun and very fulfilling. But then when I when I went to primary school, I was always recognized for the creative one. So if there was a poster to be sketched or some, you know, creative projects, I was always like placed as a leader of that group. And that was kind of validating, I suppose, looking back at it. And then in Italy, we have a very different school system than you guys here in Australia. And you have to sort of choose what type of high school you want to go to. So they aren't all the same. They're more like scientific oriented. So you do like extra hours of math and science. There are some called classical where you study lots of uh, language and literature. I chose an artistic one. So I had all the basic subjects of high school in Italy, which is quite daunting. <laughs> like you have everything from chemistry to English to Italian and history and whatnot. But on top of that, I had about 20 hours a week of artistic subjects, which included history of art, but also sketching, architectural sketching, photography, sculpting, all of that. It was really fun, but it was a public school, so it wasn't very fancy. And it kept me painting through a difficult time of my life where I was a teenager with all the emotions of that, but also my parents both kind of bailed on the family at different times. And I feel like if I wasn't going to that school, I would have probably not stayed in touch with my artistic side, I suppose. But since I had assignments about art projects, I had to keep it up. And then at 19, that's when I finished school in Italy, I decided that Italy wasn't really for me. I never felt fully welcome because I wasn't from there. And I wanted to learn English and go to an English-speaking country, really, to try to find better opportunities for myself. And I was tossing around between London and Australia. London, because I had a lot of friends from that school that eventually graduated and moved to London. But they were all struggling. Like They were all like working two jobs to live in a shitty share house. And I was like, mm, that, you're not selling it to me, buddy. And then I had a pen pal in Canberra. So I met her in person through my school. My English teacher was best friend with her Italian teacher. So they managed to arrange this combined trip where we met the girls and we stayed in touch. But I, I never thought in a million years I would be able to afford visiting her, mostly because it's very expensive. But when I was on my own, I, I did a small art exhibition in the Alps in Italy and I yeah got here on a one-way ticket really and landed in Canberra and my English was very basic to say the least and it was basic British English. So when I got to Australia and I went to Woolworths for the first time and the guy behind the counter was like, good day, mate. How are you? It took me two weeks to realize what he said after asking a lot of people. That was not English. I realized my I, I did a massive miscalculation moving to this country. <laughs> I was like, couple, couple of months and I'll be fluent. No, it took much longer than that. So as you can imagine, I was overwhelmed by a lot of other things. And the first year in Australia, I painted a lot for myself. I sacrificed half of my luggage for some painting equipment I had from Italy. But then I had to study and work to be able to support my studies as a foreigner in Australia. And I kind of lost touch with it a little bit for a couple of years. And then I got a job in corporate after I finished studying business. And that gave me a bit of a routine. And I realized at that time I had a lot of friends, but 
none of them knew that I was good at drawing or painting. It was a very interesting reality to be in for a little while. And then when I started slowly opening up to people about it, some opportunities came my way from commissions to someone asked me to teach some painting sip classes in Brisbane. So I did that. I did not particularly like it. I think I was good at it. I developed a bit of a following, same students coming to different classes, but I felt it very energy draining. And definitely do not try to teach drunk people how to paint. Bad idea. So I got over that quite quickly. And then I started teaching painting with coffee. So I switched to nighttime to mornings with very awake people. I'm not a morning person. So that that was better, but it was still not ideal for me. And then COVID happened. And I kind of, I had to take a break from corporate because I got made redundant. In corporate is, I was working in sales at that point. So for an IT company. So I learned a lot about how to be well presented online and well presented with clients, I suppose. I was already with my husband at that time and he saw how many commissions I had. So I started, I was painting with coffee and I need to prove to my students that you can paint decent things with coffee. So I'll be doing like portraits and pet portraits. And I was getting like maybe like 30 to 40 commissions a year, most of them before Christmas. That was like the first time that I was making like decent money with art, if that makes sense, but not enough to feel secure to, to just be an artist. I never got into art galleries, mostly because at the beginning, the problem was that I was an Australian. Australian galleries are very patriotic, <laughs> like they want obviously Australian residents and, and citizens to be in them. So I even stopped applying after a while. Then someone asked me to paint a mural and I was like my, my hairdresser. And she knew I was an artist for a while because, you know, when they keep you hostage on the chair for like three hours doing your hair, you kind of run out of things to talk about. And yeah, she had a little daughter and she was like, can you paint a mural? And I did that and I shared it on my socials. And then the next one came through. And then after that, I started doing outreach myself. And this was during the pandemic pretty much. And then, yeah, the commissions for murals started flowing so fast that I kind of went full time in about three months. So I don't know about you, Laura, but my brain is like shooting with ideas. I'm like, okay, okay. I want to talk about the transition into full-time. I want to talk about how you've merged your skills. Sorry. I was like, I'm just going to quickly walk through the whole timeline. So people have an idea. Yeah. Because a lot of time I get messages of people being like, you are so lucky. You are in a beautiful country like Australia. And I'm like, I came here. <laughs> like I cried every night. I couldn't understand people. I studied a lot. I couldn't prioritize my art for a very long time, buddy. There is very little luck in all of that. So I feel like I, it's important to tell the whole story because it's not as simple as what you maybe see on my Instagram right now. And yeah, people tend to just do wild assumptions. Yeah. You've definitely done the hard yards, but I like how you've also like followed those opportunities and followed your intuition. Like when you're talking about the paint and sip parties and how it was energy draining and then you redirect as well. I think that's really amazing and like a good sort of character trait to have to sort of have that like awareness and then, you know, sort of there's so many different leads or different paths that you can take as an artist. I think it's important to uh, pick on those. Like when I started painting the painting sips, two people asked me about it to completely separate venue owners in the same week. So I'm very much the person I'm like, 
it must be a sign because I never thought of it. And suddenly two people ask me, so maybe I should consider it. Maybe it's meant to be. I'm definitely that type of person. And I think the other thing that intrigued me as well was your willingness to tell other people what you're doing and how that sort of, what's the word, <laughs> blew up in a really good way. You know, you you were saying people didn't know that you painted. People didn't know that you did any of that. But once you told them, these little ideas and these little invitations to paint, to start paint and sip, to do all these other things started sort of popping up. But if you don't tell people, no one knows and the opportunities can't find you. So I think that's really going to be inspirational for our listeners. So thank you for sharing that. How, like literally, how did you go about that? Do you remember the first time you told one of your day job buddies, oh, I'm also a painter? Do you remember how you said that? Yeah. It was a bit more difficult than that, actually. So I opened up to some people in the same suburb. Like when I started my corporate job, I was an office manager. And as part of that role, I used to organize lunches out for the whole team and stuff. So I became good friends with venue owners around the whole suburb. And for some reason, they knew that I was an artist, like we would end up talking about it. Some of these venues were really arty. And I got the opportunity of doing like a little cafe exhibition in the cafe where all of my coworkers were going every morning, well, hell, three times a day to get coffee. So I was kind of put on the spot because I had a lot of random art at home at that time that was like leftover from different, you know, eras of the 10 years that I had in Australia. And they asked me that, they told me that if I want, I can put them up for free on the walls. And so I had this very mixed batch kind of solo exhibition that it wasn't like my recent work. It was just like a way of get rid of that art, if that makes sense. And so I was extra shy about it because I knew it wasn't necessarily like my best body of work but I couldn't deny that it was mine and they kind of saw me prepare some of the frames at work and that's how they all find out about it like as a co-worker so it was scary I decided to own it though so I did like a opening night and I invited all of them and you know I had all the comments like what you paint uh, I didn't know about it and then they all came we all got drunk and got over it I love it it's, it's quite a vulnerable act isn't it and I think, you know, it's what I can hear in what you're saying is that you just basically found, like took a brave pill is what I usually say. You just found your courage. You just did it and then just sort of saw what happened basically, you know? You kind of have to. I think it comes a time for every artist where you have to begin to own it. And it's not easy. Everyone struggles calling themselves an artist and I, I sure did for a long time. But it just comes a day where you're there. The moment you decide that you are an artist and you're okay with everyone knowing you as one, everything becomes so much easier. It really does. Because I think, yeah, that sometimes when you're in the closet <laughs> about your art career <laughs> and, you know, that dream that it just keeps coming back and it keeps coming back and coming back. And there could be like our listeners here that are still in the closet and are timid about sharing to their friends, family, co-workers, the wider community that they are sort of holding it close to the, their chest, I think maybe this conversation might be a bit of encouragement for them to come out and, you know, sort of share their art and pursue their calling because it, it just keeps coming back and coming back, I think. That happened to me. It's like, I really want to step into this. Like I really want to 
make a serious go of my art career. And it sounds like you had that sort of moment as well that you were ready to. I didn't necessarily think that I could make a full-time living on this. I'm going to be completely honest. I'm a realist, as realist as they come. And I never thought that I'm going to make yeah, a full-time living out of being an artist. I kind of thought that I'm, I, I want to like, go that way. In fact, when I lost my job in corporate, I signed up for a course in interior design because it's something I was always fascinated with. And I thought that that's the closest thing that I'll ever do to have a creative job and still a good earning because I was so caught up in the whole corporate ladder. But in saying that, like, I think I had that need of justifying, keep making art. And that's why I tried to make an income out of it because it's expensive to be an artist. Like it doesn't have to be, but just, you know, if you do want to try a new medium or you need to buy a new, you know, block of paper and you want it to actually last longer this time when you're going to be throwing it around the room for the next five years, you want to buy a nice, you know, what do you call like a nice notepad or something. Yeah, a trip to the art store can be easy, $100, like in just three items if you want decent stuff. So I think that was bothering me. And piling up the canvases was bothering me because I just felt like, yes, I'm doing it for myself, but they're just piling up and I'm becoming an adult. And it's both maybe like not a waste of time, but I needed to justify spending that time being creative without feeling guilty about it. And that's how I started looking for ways to make money, at least to just buy more stuff and and experiment with wilder things, like just just to kind of be happy in that cycle instead of just feeling guilty for it. And then I remember listening to your podcast, actually, and you guys were saying, and I think that's worth mentioning, I started, I had an art Instagram. And despite me not sharing with people in my life straight away what I was doing, I really enjoyed starting that Instagram. I didn't have many followers, but I did feel like it was separate to my account. So my friends and family weren't on it and I didn't have that pressure. And I just kept, you know, every time I was happy with something that I I sketched, I would just share it there and someone out there in the wild internet would like it. And that was special and important at that time because I needed validation, but I wasn't ready for it to come from my inner circle. And you recommended that in one of the episodes too. And I remember thinking, yes, that's a good idea. So if someone here is like listening and they, they haven't come out of the closet, I think that's a soft first step to just acknowledge that they are bringing something to the world and it deserves to be shared with someone somewhere. Can I ask, with your corporate background and your history in sales, Has that aided you and given you some confidence with pitching your art and pitching the murals and things that you're doing now? Yeah, for sure. I didn't know that at the time because I studied business and I studied a diploma and an advanced diploma. And I remember back then just being so abstract. I had no idea what I was studying. It just sounded like, yeah, just just very abstract concepts, which I don't do well with. But then I got a job in corporate and I started as an office manager, which wasn't much sales involved, but I started realizing how the things that I've studied actually apply in a corporate world. So the, the systems that what was important to understand, I think, as an artist back then was that, you know, I was working for a company that was selling a service. And in order to sell a service, they had a team that does marketing, a team that does sales, production team, and managers that are all over it, right? And I now mentor and teach artists to pretty much understand business and get more work with murals in particular. But 
What I try to simply pass on at the beginning of our meetings is that when you work for yourself and you have to market yourself, you can't just be the production team that produces the art. You have to become the marketing team and the sales team at times. Otherwise, you just can't get the work flowing and the money coming in. So that was important to understand in that job. And then they promoted me to sales coordinator very quickly. And then a year after that to account manager. And that just taught me how to handle clients, not necessarily pitching, but how it's good to keep touching base with them and maintaining contacts and networking. And I also learned a lot about different industries because we were building websites. But because of that, I had clients in government. I had some schools. I had some private businesses. And I saw how different they like to be approached and how different their schedules look. So now that I have my clients varying in all of these industries, I know that it's not one type of approach for all of them. And what also that job taught me is systemizing everything. So I learned how to be a professional muralist very quickly. I went like literally from, I have no clue what I'm doing to, I know how to pitch to a large, large job for, you know, a council mural in less than two years. But to do that, I had to harass a lot of people for finding information and then like storing that information somewhere and do lots of trial and error and kind of recording all of this. I'm a very data-driven person. Like I need to remember what I try, what I've wrote, what it worked. And I, I have notebooks and notebooks of notes for every job I ever did. Every time I asked a product representative, if I can use that type of primer, like I have all of this written down. And even when I get set, like some, if I pitch a mural and I get told, no, uh, we don't need that or we don't want it, I would usually go the extra mile and be like, that's totally fine. Thank you for your time. Can I bother you for one more minute? And can you tell me what I did wrong? I would really appreciate feedback. And people were happy to give it to me. And then I, I kept like changing my proposal documents. Like, I think it's just the attitude that I got from corporate that helped me to become a better muralist. What I love about this firstly is that, you know, you, you've um, sort of realized that you have those skills and you've applied them to something else. But the fact that, you know, your journey, because I think this definitely has happened with me and I know it's happened with a lot of other people, is you, you do lots of things over your journey. You might study in this area, then work in that area and then have children and then get a job in a totally different industry. And then now you're art, an artist. And you can feel like all of that that journey was like, I don't know, just a waste of time, but it isn't. It's all connected. It's connected. We're learning skills as we go and it builds us as a, you know, individual with now a whole bucket load of skills. So I love hearing that about your journey and how you're pulling it all together and yeah, yeah, accessing sort of your skills in all those areas and pulling it into what you're doing now. Thank you. Yeah. I also love just hearing you talk about it and how you said, like, I started from nothing, like I didn't know what I was doing. And so many of us start from nothing as well. And you figure it out as you go. And that was like, yeah, that is similar to my journey as well. It's just, you're like, oh, well, I feel like I've got a skills gap here. Then, okay, I'm going to learn this. And then I'm going to learn that. So maybe for someone listening that really wants to do murals and they are starting from the scratch, just like a few like beginner tips, like what would you, what advice would you give someone that's coming to you and asking like, hey, PJ, love what you're doing. I'd love to get into murals. Like what advice do you have? 
Well, my first piece of advice is don't do it for free. <laughs> you don't have to. Any decent person will at least cover cost of materials, will shout you dinner. Just, just out of principle, don't do it for free because it gets you stuck at that level where you think it's right or where you subconscious just kind of like get stuck in that bubble and you're like, maybe I have to keep doing this for free until I'm good. No, you don't do it for free. I'm just shaking my head. I'm like, thank God. Thank you for saying that. Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) I always recommend find some comfortable walls. I meaning, yes, if you are comfortable to reach out to friends and family, you know, send them a message being like, hey, this is what I decided to do. If you have a wall for me to, you know, practice and you want a discounted, you know, mural because I need to build my portfolio. But when you do that, do not choose difficult walls. And those difficult walls are corrugation, roller doors, fences, because these are the easiest surfaces to find, but are the hardest to paint on. And doesn't matter how good you are, they're never going to look as good as a mural wall on a good wall. So I find that a lot of people will try, will paint on a corrugated fence and then get discouraged because it doesn't look good. And I have to be like, of course, it's not looking good. It's painted on corrugated metal with like gaps and grooves of three centimeters, like, you know, so that's probably another big tip right there. And then spend really a moment to do some research about the material. Like it's not rocket science. We have internet. Like I still get people coming and asking, oh, can I paint with the same, like, paints that I use on canvas, right? And I'm like, well, these are for canvases. You're painting on walls, so you have to paint with painful walls. And it might be a bit more expensive, but the reality is you might paint something amazing. And if you don't use the right tools, it might fade or wash out very quickly and just not look as good after, you know, one simple summer. And then it will be heartbreaking. And also, you know, the client will think you you just chipped out on it. So it, it is unfortunately a job where I think it's 50-50. It's 50% like creativity and what you decide to paint, but 50% is all execution. And you have to learn the tools. You have to use the right products to just even honor the industry. You know, at times clients come to me and like, oh, how can you ensure that this is not going to end up looking as bad as the washed off mural down the road? And I'm like, well, I don't know what they used, but I would go check it out. And I see that there was definitely no primer that they didn't do any base colors. They just went straight with, you know, whatever spray cans that were probably not even an artist grade. They were maybe just like hardware store spray cans. And and like, it's not going to look like that bad graffiti. I promise I'm doing this professionally, but it takes a couple of artists not doing it. Yeah, just not just not honoring the craft with the right tools that make makes a bad name for the art form in itself. So I highly encourage and and also like you get better results with the right paints. So don't cripple yourself by chipping out on it. It's really not that expensive in a bit in the big scheme of things. And that's where we reconnect to the fact don't do it for free. Like literally tell them, hey, if you want this to look good, I need to buy the right paint. Can you at least cover that cost? Because there is a reason for it. That is probably my my best tips for someone that wants to get into it. And asking for a friend, how do you go about <laughs> planning your artwork design is that something you do digitally now or is that something you do on paper so I come from a strong academic like Italian school background where we sketched everything on paper it I hated the idea of digital art for a very long time and then I found myself getting I I got an iPad 
as soon as I got my first mural that was painted in the thousands because I realized it was taking me way too long to do all the sketches and I couldn't convey like my vision to my to my client and it just felt like doing the job twice because one time you have to like make this perfect little miniature mural which is going to suck the life out of you because you're going to get lost in the details and stuff on this little piece of paper and then it's not going to look anything like what you're painting on the wall anyway so but at least hopefully it's going to help you get the job so getting an iPad was an incredible investment uh procreate costed like $11 at the time i think and it took me maybe two hours of videos to be comfortable using it. But I definitely do it now digitally because it's just so much easier to to store the design, repurpose them if I need to, but also like quickly do edits. So sometimes, you know, you get a photo of the wall, but then you go there and you realize there's something around it and you're like, okay, I'll just shrink this element or move it to the right. And if I was to redo the sketch on paper, it would just take another couple of hours. Whereas with the iPad, it's just a minute. Good. That's sort of what I suspected, I think, with the tech, because it's, I mean, it's come a long way, hasn't it, the technology these days? And I think it just saves time. And that's, especially when you're, you know, doing your murals for an income, time is a factor here. So yeah, I love that you've shared that. Thank you. And so Procreate was easy enough to learn. You were saying two hours of tutorials and you had it covered. Yeah. I think I'm not using it at its full capacity. I'm very far from it. It is a bit of an investment because you need the pen as well, the Apple pen, which is another like $200 alone. But I think like murals are very lucrative. You can literally set the intention, my next mural will cover the cost of everything and it should. Procreate, yeah, was probably like, I still have, sometimes I wonder if I can do something smartly. So I will quickly like go on YouTube and be like, procreate how to, you know, remove background in, in images or something. And I'll just kind of upskill myself as I need to. I started taking some procreate courses from other artists, the same way when you paint on canvas, you might go for a class. And I found that useful. They are uh, using different styles or trying to learn different styles from different artists will make you notice features of procreate that you might have not thought for your own art, but it might come in handy when you do designs. It's fair to say though that I am a commission artist. So I I please my clients. I love that. I find that challenge exhilarating. I I love solving their problems by, you know, looking at what they want and seeing if I'm happy to paint it. And if I am, then, you know, we, we have a deal. But a lot of artists work on their style and design and therefore they might become very comfortable with a couple of brushes only within Procreate. And then it's a different type of, I guess, using the app. Like if you sketch in it, I use it almost more like Photoshop. So I would like put images in it and cut them. And I spend most of my time with composition these days instead of, and then I would just sketch in other things if it's faster doing it that way in between elements. But I very rarely draw a whole design from zero in Procreate, if that makes sense. Amazing. Thanks for sharing. So I'm curious, you did set a big goal for yourself, 100 murals. Have you thought about what's after that? Uh, A baby. (laughs) (laughs) Is this true? Yeah, yeah, it is true. Um, So I I think that's going to be a big project on its own. So I'm preparing myself with all the muscles and stuff. No, I think I, I, it's funny. I discussed this with Pandora not that long ago. I, it's almost 
a bit sad and unfair that as a, as a woman, we have to plan that in our life because it can be like a physical, you know, setback for such a long time because you never know if you're going to have a good, smooth pregnancy. Like I know some muralists that painted until they popped. And I know of some people that have to, you know, be lying in bed for 80% of the pregnancy and you just can't plan for it. I'm a big planner and, and it freaks me out that I don't know what's going to be happening with my body, if I'm going to be vomiting every day or not. Like, you know, it's, it's a bit of a gamble. So I decided to do this big project and put a lot of effort in establishing myself in the industry before then. And so then I can focus on being a mother and be pregnant and being a mother and hopefully do a project now and then just to to still be busy, but starting from a privileged, you know, position in the industry. And that's kind of the plan. I also, I also started not, not intentionally teaching other people. I never, as I said, I think teaching is very draining, <laughs> but I think I'm, I'm good at it mostly because I'm honest and I, I like giving a hundred percent in my answers, as you might've noticed. <laughs> and I think when I'm after this a hundred murals project, I would like to use all the material, the content and the knowledge and just share it. Because if there is one thing that I realized, there is no shortage of wool out here. Like there is wool for everyone. And I struggled to find information when I started this job. I struggled so hard and I found some mentors in America that were sharing like business information, but it was not really applicable to Australia. So I just want to make life easier to someone that is in the position I was two years ago. That's become like my mission. And I've been contacted while I started this lab by so many people just asking all sorts of questions like you probably get to like, how do you do it? To how do you find clients? And the questions kept getting repetitive. So I was like, okay, I can batch them and respond in videos and, and do things. So I would like to put more effort into that. I definitely find joy in helping others. It's not, as it's not a lucrative part of the business at all like murals are just so good but at least it will keep me busy <laughs> and feeling like I'm being part of a bit of a change I'm so tired of hearing the you know starving artist stereotype it's not even the starving artist stereotype. I'm so tired of people coming up to me and being like oh what do you do for a, for a real job I'm like <laughs> this is the realest of jobs and I think the society needs to be educated to the concept that you can be doing what you love for a living. It's okay to be happy at work. So yeah, I'm a bit of an omission there. So that's that's hopefully after the hundred mirrors. Hopefully there's gonna be a book as well. So yeah. Amazing. That's great. I'm thinking of pregnant you and you with like a small baby on a laptop writing blogs about mural because that's something you could do whilst you got little one at home and still be helping people and serving people. And you can do it in between other bits and pieces. What else am I visualizing? I'm also visualizing you outsourcing the mural work while you're in that little period. So you might still be able to do concepts, but then someone else does the actual painting for you, perhaps for a little period. I can't help it. My brain just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. Actually, I started, I started the blog. So you were 100% right on that one. Struggling to keep up with it, but I do both about the travel part of the 100 murals and the art tips. So I try to be better on my social media as well, sharing like lots of free tips there. So I gave up on that concept that social media is just like a pretty portfolio. Like 
I realized that by using it as what it is, which is, you know, a platform to connect people, I can just bring value. Like our followers on Instagram are not potential clients. I just other artists, right? Like I often have, when I do my one-on-ones, like I notice that my students like want to focus on growing their Instagram. And I'm like, why? Like, oh, you know, because maybe I'll get work. And I'm like, but who is actually following you? Where is your client? Is it on Instagram or is it like maybe on Facebook or somewhere else? And they have a think about it. And I'm like, oh, no, that, now that you think like I follow artists and artists follow me. And I'm like, yeah. So stop putting like all the effort in it unless, you know, you want to grow it for another way. But they try to keep this perfect portfolio on Instagram, which is fine. But I've learned somewhere else. And I think when I was listening to a, di- a different podcast, they brought to my attention the fact that Instagram for artists has given this power for the viewer to come into your life with you. You know, back then, like galleries were the place where you could see someone's artwork only, like before the the internet. And they curate what you get to see and you don't get to meet the artists. You don't know how the studio looks like. You don't know how they work. You don't know how their day looks like. But Instagram is giving that permission to the viewer, to the follower, to come into the artist's world. And that's what your followers want to see. They want to see what's behind your finished product. How did you get to it? How your life looks like? They want to be able to dream to be you. And to do that, you have to like really give them not just the pretty final finished product. And the more you share, the more real you are, the, the stronger they're going to want to follow you because you inspire them. And I feel like when I started doing that on my social media, I grew so many followers. And then I realized that, wow, this is more important than just having a curated, pretty Instagram feed. So I started you know, showing funny reels of me like messing up with paint and giving actual written tips. I never thought I would be one person that has like sentences in the Instagram feed, you know. I look at the statistics and it gets saved like 80, 150 times. And I'm like, wow, like people need this. They're saving it for later. Like they want this content. So yeah, I feel like sharing that kind of tips and and stuff might help. And the blogs kind of come with it. So I try to be methodical with like, I have a post, I have a blog for if someone needs more, they can go to the blog. I don't know. Do you do you guys do blogs? I find I need like a system for everything. So no, it's good. <laughs> when you do a podcast, a podcast is much harder. So the system's good. I had a blog once upon a time, but I can't do that and the podcast. We have got to pick and choose here. <laughs> yeah, I've got a couple of posts, and then yeah, just don't have time. But did you want to share your socials, where you hang out, and your website? And if people are interested in looking at your education and resources. Yeah, so um, Mural Nomad on social. I think it's Mural underscore Nomad on Instagram. I think it's just Mural Nomad on Facebook. And my website is www.muralnomad.au. And yeah, I'm trying to have more and more free educational resources on it. So like the list of my favorite projects to paint with or stuff like that. So yeah, mural artists or beginner mural artists know where to start from. And I also started doing some Instagram lives, which is not as serious as a podcast, but it's as stressful. I don't know how you guys manage the relying on stable connectivity. Like my last one, my guest had bad internet and I was so heartbroken. (laughs) But I hope to have more of these and I'm trying to curate the guests to people that I have questions for. So I'm doing, it's a very selfish way of running Instagram lives but I'm like I have a question about this thing who can I interview and how public I can do it so more people can benefit out of this conversation right but 
the last one was about spray painting because I get so many questions about spray painting and people seem to all want it, but all be very afraid of it. So with the last interview, I tried to kind of tackle that problem. The one before was about uh, outreach via emails, so cold emailing as artists. And then the one before that was painting at festivals and painting kind of fun things that are in commission-based, which I think it's important to know how street art festivals works if you are an artist. That's kind of all I'm doing right now. Just That's all you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so beautiful listeners, if you would like to learn a little bit more about PJ and sort of enter her world, um, make sure you go over to her Instagram, her Facebook, um, and go and check out all the things she's doing. And if you would like to be part of the 100 murals and you have a blank wall and would like to pay PJ her worth um, and get, get involved in that project, then don't be fra- afraid to reach out. I'm sure she'd give you a big friendly yes. That sound right? Thank you. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, PJ. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so fun. Pleasure. Bye. Bye. <laughs> See ya. Bye.